Okay. Okay. Wednesday night after the election. So, only got a few things to say about that that I think is relevant, and that is the fact that, um, you know, um, let us learn a lesson. And that is that there are those people that, if you go on YouTube and all around, I'm not going to mention names, but some of them you would know, that heard and prophesied that God had spoken to them and revealed to them that Trump would have a second term. I mean, it's, you know, one of the latest ones, I will mention one name, is Pat Robertson, you know, and uh, he had uh, heard from the Lord, and, and, and and then there's others that have these prophecies and so forth and so on, that, you know, one guy in particular after uh, uh, that, uh, going back even to 2011, you know, he can't remember his name, but, you know, that, you know, this is all. But the, it, it's not over with yet, right? right. So the jury's still out. We're going to give them that. But what I wanted to, uh, you know, read to you out of Deuteronomy 18 concerning the prophet. And, um, of course, this is the famous, uh, I will send you one likened unto Moses, uh, scripture here in Deuteronomy uh, 18, but in verse, um, you know, we'll just say, uh, we'll start in 17, and the Lord said to me, what they say is good, and I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words, that prophet speaks in my name. I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. And basically, from that point forward, you're not to listen to him anymore. Well, he's not from God. Well, what's his name? Pat Robinson was derogatory during the year against Trump. So, well, don't pay attention to him. That the, I, I'm not I'm not really saying one thing or another about him or this or that about Trump, you know. But uh, but what we can learn is that, and like I told uh, you know another guy, he sent me a one on this and you know and I said well we'll see right if it doesn't come to pass then he's not really a prophet of God period you're not to listen to him but they make a living off this stuff it's big business the money changing business in the so called uh, faith the books are selling the tapes are going out the videos are being seen it's big money you know it's kind of like the Tables back in the temple. It's all turned into a nice big business, you know. But and they're involved in it. So I think that you know the thing is is that um, these people that make these declarations for it's one thing to say, well, I believe or I think this will happen or I'm not positive, but this is my take on it. But when you start saying I had a, a word from God, it you know spoke to me and told me and you're telling these people this stuff like that, like, you know, about some event like the Trump having a second term and then it doesn't come to pass, then he really didn't hear from God. He heard from something, <laughs> but he didn't hear from God. 
So, uh, you know, I think that's a, a, a maybe a lesson we may learn out of this. You know, I, I, I told a buddy today that, you know, it, it's, you know, it, whatever happens is what God has planned to happen for a reason and a purpose. And, and we may not understand it, but I think that in, in due time, you know, we will. So, you know, um, um, anyway, let's, let's, uh, the American well, you know, maybe the American people are just suffering from their, uh, the sins of their past. So, um, anyway, let's not, let's move on back to the study that we came here to learn about and not to get caught up in this. All right. I want to start with the idea that first of all, the, the episode two in my little deal didn't get there. And so, for those that didn't hear it, you know, it was mainly uh, going off of Matthew 24 where it said that uh, uh, that in the end of days, that uh, at the time of his coming, he would, uh, they would hear the great sound of the trumpet and he would send forth his four angels uh, to the four corners of the earth and gather up the elect. And we kept re- reading in there where it also said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever, you know. So when we were trying to say, well, there it is, if that's the last trump, you know, we see that that's at the end of everything. And we're all trying to figure out where are these trumpets, because this study is about understanding the Feast of Trumpet. And so we're trying to determine where does that trump? Is that the last trump? It seems like the last trump, right? If you're going to use that type of language for it, you know. But, um, and we're going to show that that's a misuse of the understanding of where that trumpet comes into play. So from a, um, I got a young man that is really trying to turn his life uh, toward the Lord, and he's a, he, he has no knowledge of, the, he's learning the Bible. He's a new one. He's a new student, right? And, um, um, and he has, I tried to tell him, I say, well, because he's listening to a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff out there to listen to. And I just told him, I said, well, if you're going to really learn the Bible, you have to learn it from a cultural understanding of who Jesus was speaking to. When he says, uh, you know, uh, uh, for like birth pains of of coming upon a woman or the beginning of birth pains, they understood what he was saying. They didn't have to have a big long class on what does that mean? And yet, that's where we're at, you know, in being outside of the cultural understanding of the uh, of the Jewish uh, teachings and uh, the Jewish scriptures, you know, and all of these things. We don't really have any knowledge of these idioms and phrases that they didn't have to spend a great deal of time on to to know what they meant. And so, uh, my encouragement to him was strictly just to try to take and learn it from a Hebrew perspective. I'm not trying to say that Jews got everything right, but there are ages and ages, and Jesus came onto the scene. He's speaking to them in their language and their culture and their understanding. And, and we, don't, we don't have that. We're Americans. <laughs> Gee, you know, all we know is what, you know, our modern-day uh, culture and words and so forth and so on. So, you know, we, we see something like, you know, the great sound of the trumpet will blast. And for us, we just, well, that, that seems to be the last trump there. And we make these deductions and, 
move on to, you know, whatever, and you get somebody will tell you, there it is right there, and then if you're believing in the rapture, you're being fooled. You know, you, you, you have to learn how to deal with all this stuff. It's out there, right? And those that are studying, that yeah, means nothing if you're not really studying and searching for the truth. So, But let's go and think about this. You know, uh, I think one thing that's overlooked in, in early in uh, the text in the uh, gospel is the fact that you see it over and over again, but maybe it doesn't quite register. And that's, let's go to uh, Matthew 4, verse 17. Because, you know, we, we, we have come from a, uh, a teaching and kind of a doctrinal understanding of separation. Old Testament, New Testament, you know, Old Covenant, New Covenant, blah, 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 right? And so, but when Jesus comes onto the scene here early in the beginning of his ministry here, and we're, we're going to do these out of Matthew to make it easy, I'm sure they're in various places, and um, in verse 17, it says that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you turn to verse 23, Jesus went throughout the Galilee teaching in their synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. You know, and you could go over to Matthew 25, which we can. Try to keep these together to make you easy to turn the pages. And you get, uh, it says here that... Um, then the man who had received the one talent came after. He said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting. Oh, uh, Matthew 25, verse 24, unless I got the wrong one. So 23, you meant to say chapter 23? Matthew, uh, I said 25. Let me see if I'm, my dialectia, 25, 24, is it 24, 25? That, hap- that does happen. Mm-hmm. Well, it may have happened. <laughs> Let's see. Uh... Well, you may be just wrong on together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are we looking for? Oh, just a continual reference of the fact, and I just tried to pick out a few, and there's many in here if you look through. But the, the, the mindset is is the kingdom of heaven, that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? 25, chapter 25, at that time the kingdom of heaven. Very, read it for me. At the time the kingdom of heaven. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins with, uh, who took their lamps. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a continual reference throughout the Gospels, you know, in his earthly ministry of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I got a note by the mind that there's a reference in Matthew for 32 times he says that. Yeah, there you go. So, 
You know, it's a it's a main. So when we say the kingdom of heaven, we go back to Brother Bud. Hello, Bud. And that is is that uh, you know heaven was created. <laughs> we always want to wait a second. So think about it. We got heaven and we got earth. And we've always made these distinctions for y'all yeah. that you have heaven and earth. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's talking about a kingdom of heaven, of the good news of this kingdom. And I want you to understand that the kingdom that he is referring to is what we often refer to as the world to come. In other words, that there is the present world that we live in today, that we've been here since the time of Adam, and it's going to continue on until when? We've got our, what we say, uh, our 6,000 years from Adam to the end of what we call this end of this particular age, and then we go into that final thousand year period which we've referred to last time as the seventh day a time of rest when peace comes upon the earth and at the end of that period of time this is when we see a reference to the new Jerusalem descending down from above and that period of time from then on will be known as the world to come or the kingdom of heaven the prayer that Jesus said, thy will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. It's gonna, the heaven and earth are coming together and in the world to come, and it, it now has been manifested, and this is what we're living for. It's pretty good out here right now, isn't it? <laughs> Not a great day for certain people, right? So, you know, there's coming a time when the peace is gonna break out and there's a time of peace, and this is going to be a big subject matter in all your prophetic teachings of when's the peace? It's coming in peacefully. They got all this peace thing going on, right? So, you know, what we're telling you, and I'm telling you, is that the, the time of peace is this thousand-year period, okay? So, you know, this is where we're at. We, I, I say that this is where we're at. We're right here somewhere right up to the point of the end of this 6,000 year period. And if I'm correct, then we're going to have this thing where it's going to go into this period of time where we read in Isaiah 65 where it says, and I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And we went over that. You know, that, that phraseology. You know, when you go back and look in the Hebrew, the word new can be renewed. I will renew the heavens and the earth. See, we use the word new and we go, well, new means new, doesn't it? <laughs> Hadn't been there before. Huh? Hadn't been there before. Right. But if he's renewing new to me. the heaven and the earth, you know, then, then we looked at that passage over there to where they saw that a, a person that lived, you know, he died before he's 100 years of age, he, he was considered accursed. That it, you're like, what happened to him? He didn't live a long life. Like we would think of a child that doesn't live to be five years old or something, you know, like, wow, yeah, that's terrible, right? But 
we know that's not the world to come because he died. Remember, when we get to this period of time here, we're all at the end of this thousand-year period. Death itself is thrown into the lake of fire. There is no more death when we enter into the world to come. So that helps you to place that period of time in Isaiah 65 within that period. But you got to break it down to where you can put it in the right place. So are you referring to that as the millennium? The millennium. So if we believe in rapture, we'll be out of there before then, correct? So we're now trying to say or, 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 or see if we can find the truth to the idea of if there is a resurrection and a rapture, when does it take place? Does it, uh, you know, now I'm one of these people that believe that when you enter into the seventh day, that's the beginning of the time of Jacob's trouble, or what we call the seven-year tribulation. That this period right here starts with the seven years of tribulation so let's just say this is a starting point and it goes seven years and then at the end of that seven years you have the what we call uh, you know, Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven you know, coming back to earth that, and then from that point is you've got the remainder of this so-called seventh day which is a thousand year period and I'm different from most modern Bible teachers because most of them teach that this thousand year begins when Jesus returns to the earth that we see in Revelations 19 when he's coming with the clouds of heaven and the white horses and uh, you know all of those that are with him right and and I believe that because this is a Jewish perspective and understanding that the seventh day begins with cleansing so the cleansing takes place of the earth in this seven-year period. So what happens at the end of the seven years after the uh, God has, you know, uh, he'd come back, he brought Israel into the bond of the covenant. We're still trying to determine when did this take place. Does that resurrection uh, take place here? Or does it take place here? Or does it take place in both places? You know, it's all in how you understand these connections to all the things we're talking about, right? When, so, when Jesus comes back, does he sit on the throne of David when he's down on earth? Well, I, that's what's pro said about it, that yeah, he would sit okay. upon the throne of David. Yeah. Which is really his throne. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the he, son of David. <laughs> if he's at the right hand of God right now, yeah. then when he comes to earth, he's got a throne to sit on. Well, that's right. He's going to sit in the highest place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in that seven-year period right there, I, I, I tell people, well, when you go back and you look at the Sabbath from a temple, you know, perspective, that thing that they did first as the Sabbath day was coming and breaking forth on Friday evening is they flood the temple and they cleanse the temple of all the sacrifices that had occurred during the week. Think about it. You're going into the day that God chose to rest and dwell with man and rest with man and you, you entering into the rest with him. They cleanse all the sacrifices and the blood from the altar and they cleanse the temple the very first thing. 
And then the rest of the Sabbath was spent, you know, starting anew. Oh, that's the same picture that they're going to have. They're going to cleanse. The earth is going to be cleansed. You know, when you go back to the altar, the altar is a stone that's taken from the earth. It's representative of the earth. You know, when you look at the altar that God gave to, to Moses. So, you know, uh, it's just a picture. Everything is a picture trying to help you put this into the right order. And if you reject all that, that God gave the Jewish people, then you're, you're going to be like that guy in the basket trying to take the raffle ticket. I don't know. Let's pick one out, you know. I guess, you know, it's all mixed up. And so, so you know. So they have that, you know, there's a three-and-a-half-year period of tribulation and war and stuff, and then, so where is that? Right there. That's okay. Right so that's the tribulation. Then that's right. Then three-and-a-half years, then the cleansing? Pardon? Well, the cleansing's starting right here. Once you enter into the Sabbath, the cleansing's beginning. It's a cycle thing. Every seventh day. Every Sabbath, they're going to cleanse the That's right. The Every seventh day, they start the cleansing. And, and, and so, you know, the point is, is see, now, you know, and I understand you're, I wonder, where is this? You know, this is all a whole bunch of more stuff you can learn about all the three and a half years and when does Israel come into the bond of the covenant and how do they know we know they're already into the bond of the covenant by three and a half years because of certain things we're told, you know, and then we go into what really more of what we call the great tribulation or the wrath of God and which God allows, which I believe this is what you see in this little period of time. You see the world kind of going like it is with, the power structures of the world, you know, doing their thing and dominating the world and putting people into cages. Mm. <laughs> Who built them cages, right? And, uh, and, and, but when you get toward the three-and-a-half-year period at the end, this is when God's going to pour out his wrath and start judging all of these people. And, if, of course, at the end of the seven-year period, you have that final, you know, period of time when God descends and... And, and, and we call it, and we're getting off track of where we were supposed to be going, but, you know, there's this great supper of God, but it's not for those that are the righteous. So it's the unrighteous that are being ate by the birds of the air and the beast of the field. So you think the first seven years of the thousand-year period is... Begins the seventh day. Okay. So if you're... I don't care when it is. When 6,000 years mm -hmm. is up... You enter into the seventh day. Yep. Modern Christianity teaches this more from a perspective that, you know, this is the end of the 6,000 years, this period when Jesus returns. In other words, that the seven years would precede mm -hmm. this period of time. Now, if we live long enough and we can get there, I'm going to show you some stuff that really makes this really better to understand that's involved with things you've heard about, the Jubilee and all of these other things, right, and, the, and things that we've been reading about. But, you know, just kind of get a, a grasp of the fact that the, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is the world to come. There is a new creation being born. It's... It, well, how about now? Well, but, you know, when you receive the Spirit, the kingdom of heaven is within you. 
But it's not here now. <laughs> we saw that last night, didn't we? <laughs> so, so it's not here, but it's being birthed, right? And well, most I think Jews did not see is they didn't see this so-called two thousand year period leading up to this time frame right here. In other words, here's Jesus on the cross, and then from that point forward, you got two thousand years. You know, they didn't see all this time, you know, technically from a perspective of how we know it's unfolded. You know, man has continued to, you know, God's uh, gospel went out into all the world, to the Gentile nations of the world. You know, they just, they just didn't have enough vision and hearing and seeing to know the hidden truths that were in their own teachings, let's just put it that way. And, and so, you know, when we... We see that this is unfolding. Jesus comes forth at this uh, this period of time here, which would have been four thousand years from from birth. You know, Adam over here to the cross, right? He he comes forth here, but he's what is he preaching? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, which is really a way of saying he's telling you about a world to come, and that's why he's telling if man not be born again. Well, how does that happen? Well, you're going to be born into this new world, just like Adam and with all the and all of us were born into this world. He's talking really about this world, but we're left to live in the world we're in right now until this is manifested. So all of this stuff that we see here and all this stuff that we're having to go through is about the birthing of the whole world to come. That's coming. That's the whole new creation that's being, that, that we so-called believe. We're not just being saved so we don't burn and our feathers burn up. We're mm-hmm. actually being saved or redeemed by God to enter into a world, and there's scriptures that, that he planned for since the foundation of the world was laid. And those that have ears to hear will hear the gospel, and they say, well, I want to be a part of this. And I want to live my life looking forward, knowing that even if I die, that he will raise me from the dead and I will still enter into the world to come in a physical body, but a new body, a spiritual body that's filled with the spirit, void of the old nature. You know, that's really what we're preaching, right? That's what he's preaching. That's what Paul's preaching. He's just trying to help us understand it from a perspective of, of going through the fact that we're still in the flesh and we're still making these stupid decisions and we're still saying things we shouldn't say, doing things we shouldn't do, but we love the Lord. You know? Oh, really? Show me your love. If you go to the Hebrew calendar, you can get it on the phone. We're in the year 5,781. That's right. And, and that means wrong. if we can live 200 years, we might make that. Yeah, and, 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 and I think Jim is for re, not remembering that he said that last week or the week before, and I said that, you know, they know they're off 200 years. Yeah. They know they're off somewhere in the time of the bad kings. There were time that wasn't kept, and they know that. So maybe tomorrow. So, <laughs> I doubt that one. But, <clears throat> so, so what about the shofar? You know, why is the shofar? When we look at the, when we look at the festivals, you know, which I tell, 
They're the blueprint of all these appointed times. It's easy to see. You know, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, or, or, or the Feast of Week, all that dealt with Jesus' first coming. It's easy to see. You can go in the Bible, and, and he gave up the Spirit on right before the 15th of Nisan at 3 p.m., right when they sliced the throat of the lamb, you know, in the temple for the final sacrifice for Passover. Those things did not happen on those days because it was just a great day to do it. It was all planned, and all of this was planned in this context of these festivals. So, you know, we read in Acts 2 where it says, and that was the day of Pentecost had fully come. And some people go, well, that's it, the fullness of it. No, it just means that the day of Pentecost had come and that, that the, uh, the tongues of fire and the Holy Spirit came down and filled them, you know, with their spirit, right? And they began to speak with other tongues. And the men that were there, they all, I always tell people, you know, there, there's some, and you may not have this mindset, but a lot of people think that everybody there began speaking in other tongues. But it's not the case. It was strictly just the disciples that were filled with the power. And it says, are these men Galileans? And yet they speak with tongues that I myself can hear from, and it goes in there and gives you this little phrase, from all nations under heaven. Well, why is that important or why is that there? Well, you wouldn't really see the importance of that unless you go back to Mount Sinai when really this same day, many, many years in the past, on that same day, that same event occurred. Right? Huh? So back then, it's the rejoicing of the giving of the Torah and now here in the future, at the time of Christ, in the fulfillment of these things, in the fullness as they're coming forth, it's the giving of the Spirit. And now we're having the Word written upon our heart by how? By the Spirit of God. So it's all related. But, you know, so if you want to know more about this, you need to know more about that, and it all kind of helps you know a lot more about a lot of it. So... Let's go to um, and, and look at this word, shofar. Because there is a, there's a name for Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpet. How do you spell that? Which one? S-H-O-F-A-R. And it basically... S-H-O-F-A-R. Yom, I have to do this, Torah... And, and that's a name for Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, okay? And the reason you get these different names is this, this is translated the day of the awakening blast. So that goes right there to the essence of what Rosh Hashanah is. It's the day when what? A blowing of the trumpets or the shofar. Okay? So, how how is this relative to what we're talking about? Well, you know, blast. If you go into the definition in the Hebrew for uh, the shofar, 
you're going to see that, you know, it has a, uh, they're going to use the word trumpet or cornet. But you've got to look at the Hebrew to know where they're really using the word for trumpet, as in a silver trumpet, versus a ram's horn. The ram's horn is considered to be the shofar, the curved ram's horn, okay? And so when you're looking at it in Leviticus 23, when it's introduced to you, it's talking about the ram's horn. And, 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 don't, and let me say it. The trumpets also play a role in this. In fact, one of the things that they discovered probably, I don't know, it's been 30 years ago, I do believe, that um, uh, in the archaeology dealings with the Temple Mount, they found a stone. They found a stone that was down there in the uh, area of uh, the wall that they found the inscription uh, that is uh, uh, the trumpeting stone. And so there was on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount, there was a stone where these guys would stand, and this is where either the two silver trumpets and the ram's horn were blown on that particular stone. So, I mean, this is a part of their whole cultural understanding. So when you talk about it from that perspective, what would be, if you, if you had to define the purpose of the shofar, what would it be for? What what would the show for be for the purpose of? Festivals. Huh? Festivals. Communicate, right? You know, when they blow the show for or the silver trumpets, it meant something. I don't know. We have a old bell down in our country, you know, and it kind of like you know, if you hear that bell ringing. Bang, bang, you know, that's communicate a sound that 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 being rung at you know, some you need to come to the house. So it would be for the purpose, and you can get this out of Numbers ten. You know, it tells you there where it says that for to call up the nobles or the elders, you know, if they blew if they blew the uh, one silver trumpet, they would call up the what they call the nobles or the elders are the leaders of the tribes. They didn't want everybody to come up. We just want the elders to come up. But if they blew two silver trumpets, it would bring the whole community up. So it was for communication primarily. What are we waiting on and watching for and listening for? So it still holds today that it, it's communicating to us something, right? And when you get into breaking this down, you're going to see that the word, you know, a la the word loud, uh, you know, is used. Uh, uh, the word shout, you know, if you look at at, in, at um, the walls of Jericho, all of this is going to come. And they're going to hear the loud shout and the uh, the the trumpet blast when they set, you know blow all the trumpets and the walls came, dump, you know. It's all in there, you know, but it's in the definition of the term, the shofar. It's a blast that's so loud you can hear it. It's a loud noise, right? Okay, we got that. That's pretty simple, right? I mean, we know. You want me to go get one and blow it for you? <laughs> you go, stop it. 
that you know it's too loud you know it's, it, they hear it it's communication so that being the case you know they they really uh, you know took this and they used it in many forms in the Bible but it also is attached to its first use remember we talk about when does the word uh, you know is first used in the Bible that you know links it to real importance, right? So let's go over to Exodus 19. And Exodus 19, it's going to be a major event. And verse 16. Okay, they've been, they've come out of Egypt. They have been being led somewhere. <laughs> they're probably still wondering where. You know, they're living in temporary structures like sukkahs. And they're being led and they're, they're, they're finally, you know, getting up to this place that we call Mount Sinai. And another way to say that, it's the mountain of God, Right? And so, um, when we, you can start at some point in verse 19, but we're going to start at 16. And I think it's worthy of note two things here. If you go back and read, your, read some of this, you know, God told Moses to prepare the people. For how long? For two days. Oh, that's interesting. A day is a thousand years is a thousand years under the Lord. For two days, he would prepare them. But on the third day, he would lead them up to the mountain. Okay? So on the third day, well, that's another thing. We kind of get the same deal with Jesus' resurrection. He'd be in the grave. Three days and three nights. And on the third day was raised from the dead so when we get to this point in the scripture with Exodus 19 it says that on the morning of the third day there was thundering and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast you see it all right there right a very loud trumpet blast and if you looked up that word, it's the word would be shofar. Okay? Everyone in the camp trembled, and Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, you know, I only know how to give this to you the best way I know how to give it to you, and that's just how I understand it. So, you know, I, I know I give you so much stuff to, you know, but basically... Moses is going to represent who? Is he going to represent God or is he going to represent Israel? God. Huh? God. He is, right? <clears throat> Who's he leading out there? He's leading Israel out to the mountain. So in this particular case, 
today. In this particular case, the friend of the bride is Moses. But he's also going to be, in my opinion, he's also the friend of the bridegroom. Because you don't see no the other witness in this picture here at this particular case. Moses is talking to God. Yes, sir. And then he's going and he's going back to Israel and he's telling them what's going on and he's now leading them out to the mountain. So we know that Moses is one of the friends of the bridegroom. And as we go later on, we're going to find out that John, who was in the spirit of Elijah, he's going to be the other friend of the bridegroom. Okay? He has a purpose. But he's the friend of the bridegroom John is, and that bridegroom's going to be who? But in this case here, who's the groom? Back in Exodus, in Exodus 19, who's the groom? It's not Moses. He's the friend. It's God. And you get this in the Bible. It tells you over in Hosea. He says, I was a husband to you. And you went whoring after other gods. And became an adulterer. But in this case, at Mount Sinai, you're going to see so many good things. Because this is happening on the day of Pentecost. Back in the time of Moses. And he's leading them out there. And you're going to be told here that uh, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from like smoke from the furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see me. And the Lord and many of them uh, through to see the Lord, and many of them perished. Even the priests who approach, the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because for yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, set it apart as holy. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on to verse 20. It says, and God spoke all these words. What you're going to find out that the sound of the shofar is going to be a metaphor. And what's the metaphor going to be of? The voice. The sound came louder and louder and God spoke and the voice of God spoke and it made them tremble and they, they were fearful. You know, you're getting all of this image of all of these different things, but it's the bot coal, it's the voice of God that they're hearing. Now, let's, let's just remember this, but where you don't think I'm crazy... Turn over to uh, Revelations 4.
there? After this, are we there? After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said what? He heard the voice. I'm telling you when this day comes, you're going to hear the voice. That's what the shofar really is representing. That you will hear the sound of God's voice and you will be changed instantly in the twinkling of an eye. But you will hear the voice. And those other people out there that don't know God are not going to hear this voice. What's Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice. (laughs) Right? Right. Yeah. All the language is sitting right here in Revelation 4 of this event. So the question is, is when does this event occur? And there's, there are those that would have different opinions, but there's other, uh, I think, clues that are actually, uh, that we're going to get into. And, but it's a Jewish kind of a thing, you know. Have you ever heard of Kabbalah Shabbat? No. Oh. It's the welcoming of the Sabbath. There are specific songs that will precede the coming of the Sabbath that are going to tell a story. And that story is going to be present all right here in the scriptures, but you don't know the language, so you don't see the story. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> you haven't seen the story yet. But anyway, you know, we, we will, we are, we're headed toward... Uh, looking at that, so um, and and we'll look at it. So, but I want to go, uh, you know, to help you kind of give you a foundation about what the, we talk about in this idea of the first trump. The first trump is going to be blown at Mount Sinai, right here. That's the first trump. And when we get to at the sound of the last trump, right. Then we get to that phrase, the last trump. And so that's where the debate lies, you know. Well, when is the last trump? Well, if we read Revelation, there are many trumps. But, you know, there's a context to the idea behind the first trump and the last trump. And what you really need to see is the idea and the thought that On this day of Pentecost, God, what, descended upon Mount Sinai and they heard the sound of the shofar and the voice of God. But I want you to look at the the parallel to the language, to the fact that when you see that Jesus will descend from heaven and he will... Uh, uh, with the sound, of, you know, it's in First Thessalonians where it says, "With the last trump, the trumpet sound of the great trump, of the trumpet, the dead will rise, and those left alive will be." You know, you're <clears throat> saying the same thing. He's descending, okay? And so then we're got to find out well, what, when is that day? When is that happening? Why is that? Can we place that time in a specific place in the scriptures? And I believe you can, but we have to first fight. This idea 
and how to understand, you know, the ongoing uh, deflection of this is no man knows the hour of the day, so it couldn't possibly be a day you would know, right? No man knows the hour of the day. So how could you know the day? And yet we're told in Thessalonians, but you brothers are not of darkness that this day would overtake you like a thief, for you know very well. And it's like, you know, well, wait a second, if we can't know the day, only the God and himself knows, what is all that language? I'm telling you, that language is about the wedding. It's about all of the things that we're learning about, but it's a language of when the groom goes to get his bride. There's all kinds of things that we know nothing about. We just hit on that, that phrase, then we just stick on it and say, well, he could come today. And, and, uh, and the church believes in the imminent return of Christ that he could come today. I think we have one brother that said that earlier. <coughs> oh, yeah, that man there. And, uh, <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> that guy behind you. <laughs> but, but, and, and you know what? I'm funning with him. I just don't believe that. I believe that we can know the time and the season, which is really the appointed time, when the evidence gets so great, you ought to be able to go, my goodness, maybe we need to reconsider how we look at this. And I think when you look at the fall feast and how this all unfolds, you should. <laughs> but it just gives us a footprint or a time frame. And I think that, you know, I always tell <laughs> in my journeys of this, I don't know whether it's going to be the next Rosh Hashanah. I don't know if it's the, that hour and that day. But I certainly believe it could be, and I'm watching for it. I'm not going to get caught off guard and, you know, I'm out, uh, you know, even if I was out on my boat, and I don't, you know, anybody want to buy a boat? Uh, you know, and I'm out there in the Gulf fishing, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, I probably would be thinking about it. But, you know, most people are going to be caught, they're not going to, they're not going to know. They're not going to know what time it is even. You're looking at the new moon? Well, there's all kinds of things that are attached to it, which is also about no man knows the hour of the day involving the moon and the events of the moons and the signs in the heaven that are all there tied to these festivals, right? So let's go and let's see where do they get this idea from? Where does it originate from? This concept of in your readings of first trump, last trump, Okay. Y'all want to know where that comes from? Yes. Okay, good. That's what we're going to do. So, Genesis 22. Everybody knows what's on Genesis 22, right? Huh? Tell me the story. See, you know, one of the things you learn when learning about the festivals that are very critical is... What do they read on these days? Because they don't read willy-nilly. They read specific things on specific days. And on the festival days, they read specific things on specific days. And one of them here is going to be Genesis 22, which is the... Sacrifice of binding of Isaac, you know, right? Yep. And so we know the story well. Abraham saw the place far off. And what land were they in at that time? Land of Moriah. You're told that, right? And where was the where was the temple erected eventually? On Mount Moriah, you know. 
So these are, you know, when Jesus says, for Abraham saw my day, you know, it's really a literal reference to the idea that Abraham saw that God, when he says Jehovah Jireh, he's telling that the Lord will provide. What? A sacrifice. Not Isaac, not your son, not your only son, which he had too, but he's also afraid it's his only son. But he goes in there and he's on the altar and he's going to, you know, take his life. Boy, you know, he should be the father of faith. And, um, and what happens? What does he say? What did the angel said? Stop, Abraham, right? And, and, and let's, uh, let's, let, let's read it. And it says here in Genesis 22. Verse 13, and he said, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. Right? And so God provides the sacrifice. They take the ram and he takes the place of Isaac. And those two horns on his head represent the first and the last trump. There's only two on his head, <laughs> not a unicorn, right? So he's got two trumpets or two horns, and those are your shofar horns that really come out of the story of Genesis 22, which is read on Rosh Hashanah, along with the barren woman, Sarah, giving birth, along with Samuel 1, where there's another you know, barren woman giving birth. So the emphasis is on a barren womb being miraculously, you know, birth a child. And this is a similar picture when we go to the story, you know, of Mary and Joseph. We're switching gears now. Let me back up just a little bit. Moses leads the uh, Israel out to the mountain, right? And and God is going to betroth Himself to Israel. How many of y'all know the word betroth? Everybody understand the idea behind betrothal? Be truthful, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's about the idea in a Jewish wedding that there is a process of marrying. And so when a man chooses a bride, you know, that man will, you know, there's going to be a price paid, and we're going to look at the marriage layout because it's all in the Scriptures. You just don't get it like this, you know. We are told there, there was a price paid for your, your, your life, right, the blood of Christ. There's a price paid you know, a dowry, and, and you're going to go through uh, the, the idea that the, the, uh, the man makes his proposal to the, uh, his wife-to-be's father, and he accepts the contract or the terms. And so at that point in time, when they make the acceptance of it, they're married, <laughs> Okay? but they have not entered into the consummation of the marriage yet. What does that mean? 
Any of those males know what that means? (laughs) The two have not become one flesh. I won't do my symbolic hand gestures there. So, but we understand, right? That they have not entered into intercourse. So they're, but that, that, that's the process. They're married. How do we know this is the case with Mary and Joseph? Remember this problem that existed there, right? What was the problem? That Mary thought, I mean, Joseph thought what? What do you think? Yeah, she'd been with someone else. And that is in what? Genesis, uh, Matt, uh, is it Matthew 4? Let, let, let's go look at it. Matthew 4, I think. I may be wrong. Well, it's something four, or maybe it's one. Yeah, uh, Matthew one four maybe no. First time, yeah, Okay. Well, the bottom. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Matthew one, verse nineteen. So the angel of the Lord appears to uh, Joseph, and it says thus, uh, he goes in verse 8, he says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged, pledged to be married. We, we get these English words, right? Betrothed to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, <laughs> consummated, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. What's wrong with that? Well, that's against the Torah. That means she's been with another man. She's an adulterer. Adulteress. Right? In the eyes of everybody, you know, from the word, she's pregnant. She had In our lives, in our mind, you know, she'd been with another man. And Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her publicly to public disgrace that he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But he ain't ever been with her. But you see that from their perspective, she was married to him already because she was betrothed to him. And here's the idea behind it all is the fact that the um, the woman, the woman was to be, they got all this going on, you know, and they make the deal. The man leaves and goes back to his father's house. Didn't he go build a house for his uh, future? Here's probably a new word. He goes and he returns to the insula. You know what that is? The insula? Man cave. (laughs) (laughs) Close. In in Israel, in Israel and in in the Jewish culture, when... When Jesus went to look for his disciples, he went to Bethsaida, right? And there he found who? Peter, James, Matthew, John, five of them in there. And they all 
lived, and Bethsaida was not 